0: Nat, Adil, excited to start this great books series, which is going to be the next probably several years of Made You Think till we're done with it.
1: It's probably going to probably gonna take a little bit, but uh, it will be fun to work through it. I'm already I, I'm already decently far ahead on the books. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, nice reading reading nice little style. humble brag. Nice little yeah, humble I, brag I, by Nat to be like, <laughs> I'm yeah. already halfway done with this five year list. I'm not employed, <laughs> you know. I just like sit at home, read books, <laughs> maybe write something, play with the kid and the dogs. Like <laughs> Wow, Adil's mic <Mike> is already <laughs> gone again. <laughs> he made it two minutes. <laughs> he didn't even make it to his first
0: line of the podcast.
1: Ah, he's back. <laughs> 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 deal is this your first zoom call <laughs> I just got an internet connection uh, <laughs> how far are you along the list I'm like 10 books now I think nice. uh, to, to be fair a lot of them this far back are really short right we're doing Gilgamesh today and it's 60 pages theogony yeah. is like 20 pages works and days is like 20 pages Iliad is long that one's definitely been the longest so far and the Old Testament stuff takes a while because it's it's just slow but uh, I just I did Tao Te Ching earlier this week and now I'm on Confucius and they're they're the two best by far it it knocks all of the like Middle Eastern ancient Greek stuff from that era I think out of the water it's just like maybe maybe because it's crisper or something or maybe it's because the translation has to be more aggressive and so the language gets simplified i I don't know what it is but i'm enjoying them a lot more than i mean theogony is brutal i think we're just going to skip that for the podcast because it's it's literally just like a 20 page ancestry.com report of all of the greek gods and like who their kids and parents were and who they were fucking and how they got there and it yeah Which, it's one of those things where it it makes me appreciate that some of the books on the list are not there because they are great books. They are there because they are historically useful. Like, I think Theogony is one of the only fully cohesive recordings we have of all of the ancient Greek, like, Mm -hmm. deities and how they all related to each other. You get parts of it in the different epics, but you don't get, like, one cohesive thing. But Hesiod just, like, wrote a description of how they all... Fit together, so it's like super useful, but it's not a great book per se. To read, yeah, yeah. Is that the whole talk about? Is that the whole book? Just yeah, yeah. The the whole book is just like in the beginning, there was Earth, and it's like Earth, Sun, and Moon, and Earth, Sun, and Moon like gave birth to uh, the Titans, and then the Titans ruled over time and space. And I mean, it's interesting because it's like there, there's some fairly advanced like like philosophy of physics stuff in it right talking about you know time and space and the heavens and whatnot and then it's like you know Kronos had to eat all of his children because otherwise one of them would eventually kill him and then earth hid Zeus from him and then Zeus you know came back and killed Kronos and sent him to it's like the underworld or something and locked away all the titans and then he gave birth to all the other gods and so it's It's a little bit of a story, but it's very just, it's actually a lot like Genesis, right? Where there are just whole chapters of, you know, and then he gave birth to him and gave birth to her, gave birth to him. Uh, Very similar style.
0: I wonder why that is, because I feel like they did that a lot in the um, Iliad too, which obviously we're going to talk about later in this series. But there was like entire, I remember there was like one entire book or, you know, chapter essentially about like the different armies and you know their lineage and like like the pages of of
1: listing off ships yeah
0: it was like on the first ship it was this person i guess i mean it wasn't like they didn't have like a visual when they were telling this story so i guess they like to set the stage of like how epic an army it was they had to probably do it but i wonder if you were listening to that even at that time you were like oh i hate this part
1: well it does (laughs) it i think there is this element of The only way we had to codify information back then well, I guess it's not really true because we have found ancient like accounting Clay tablets and things like that, but I I imagine a lot of information was codified in story so You know some of this stuff ends up slipping in there, right? It's like Exodus. There's multiple chapters that are you know, just laws Right. It's like it's not it stops in the story and then it's okay. Well, here's all of the rules and okay, now we're gonna like add in a little bit of story. Now here's how to build the. Um, I always want to say tesseract, but it's not tesseract. It's. Uh, now I gotta find the. I word. should really know this word. But anyway, yeah, it's like a construction manual for a little bit, yeah. and then, <laughs> So it's just a very different way of storytelling than than we're used to, and you know maybe they just didn't break it out into separate texts the way we would today. It'd be like yeah. an appendix, you know. God's I also wonder guide for these building the ark. I also wonder Tabernacle. for these old stories. Tabernacle, Tabernacle, there you go. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I also wonder for these old stories like Gilgamesh too. I also wonder if the by the time it got written down and like put onto a tablet that could be passed down that we could find, like how much of the story had sort of changed along the way. Like there yeah. there are there are just in like my Googling before the episode, there are a lot of people who think that like Gilgamesh was an amount, amal- you know, an amalgam essentially of a bunch of different stories right. that are kind of like merged together to create this sort of epic of Gilgamesh.
1: Yeah, and Gilgamesh is cool. I mean, this is the oldest thing that we have by a decent margin, right? The, the estimate I have on the sheet, at least, is around 2100 BCE. And the only other stuff that we have a decent amount of writing from would be like Egyptian records. But I don't think there are any ancient egyptian epics on this scale there's like stories of the pharaohs and kind of like procedural type things but there aren't i don't think we have a great egyptian epic there's like the book of the dead but that's more like philosophy maybe we should add that to the list too but i don't i mean nothing else really comes close to this the next thing is the bible or the the old testament which is like 700 years later yeah i mean the the um
0: with the caveat of this is what survived so there's like some right, survivorship right. bias as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Well, there was uh there's a good podcast I've been listening to called The Ancients. Ooh. And they were talking not. about it's pretty good. He he just like interviews people about different parts of ancient history, and one of the themes that always comes back is the the way a culture recorded its information really determines how we think of it today. And what was special about Ur and Uruk and Mesopotamia and like the areas where Epic of Gilgamesh happened was that it was very rich in clay. And so they used clay tablets to record everything because it was much easier to come by than almost anything else. It was cheap. And so we have a lot more records from that region. Whereas Egyptians used papyrus for everything and the papyrus doesn't survive. Mm. So they may well have had significantly more stories and epics and, you know, who knows what else, but none of it made it because it was written on paper versus stone.
0: Yeah. And also the burning of the library of Alexandria probably didn't help. Probably didn't help very much. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it was quite easy uh, to burn. uh, All the papyrus too. Yeah. Have you guys read three body
1: problem? I have not, but it has been, you've recommended it specifically like Uh, a million times. (laughs) <laughs> this, this isn't a spoiler, but it's a theme that comes back. There are themes, a theme that comes up in book three, which is like, how do you communicate across like millennia or even millions of years? Right? So how do you like send a message millions of years into the future? And the, the only way to do it is stone, right? Like you have to build it into the earth somehow. Uh, mm. which is why like we have pyramids and why we have gilgamesh and these other things so i feel like we're not doing enough stonework guys we need to like start <laughs> yeah. putting block posts in cuneiform tablets or something <laughs> i don't I know love if is gonna make it very long
0: <laughs> isn't that the whole point of blockchain no <laughs> i'm just <kidding. laughs> i was actually but there is a connection though to this right where like And this applies to Gilgamesh, but any of the other stories that we're talking about, which were orally passed down, is I wonder how many, I had this thought more while reading the Iliad, Mm -hmm. honestly, than Gilgamesh, but like, I wonder how many people knew the story originally, right? So did you start off with like a source of truth of like one person? And then they told it to people, and it was kind of like a game of telephone, like, did it shift over time? And then whose version got like codified as like the version, right? Like, so it's kind of interesting that it's like not, obviously it's not a, there's not like a single source of truth to these like oral, oral stories. We
2: can cover more of this when we do uh, Genesis and Exodus, but that's sort of the, sort of the brackish waters between recorded history and before where they actually know, like there were multiple authors and they deconflicted at these points and this copy merged with that copy. And I I forget all the names now, but I think it was like J and P and like the Priestly edition we can look all this up before we do the episode, but over there, it becomes clearer, right? Over here, we've just lost all the contemporary history around it. The contemporary bits that I thought were fascinating were uh, similar to what we were mentioning a minute ago around just having the records of things like the Egyptians, where there's this tablet they found called the Sumerian List of Kings. Mm -hmm. And it's just cities and their kings and their reign. And it's just a tablet that just, has all of it and Gilgamesh is on there
1: which is why yeah. they believe you know Well that's what I was going to mention is I think that's one of the fun things about this story is it it seems that Gilgamesh was a real king and he was a real person and then we have all of these and the, the epic is more like a series of stories it's not really a like linear pathway we would think of a, a story today and it's it's fun to imagine that these all probably started as a true thing that happened and then like to a deal's point about telephone They just kind of got inflated a little bit over time and got bigger and bigger and Kind of like got closer to God's status as they got like retold and made more exciting So it's fun to think like okay. What what might this have started as and then? How did it end up with him? Like, you know going to the valley of death and begging for eternal life and all of these things didn't make it all the way though, because it's. I think it opens with he's two thirds God and one third human. Yeah, only two thirds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just mostly God. They <laughs> the they, they, uh, they they ran into some of the Greek scholars and they were like, "Oh, your Achilles is half God." Well, wow. <laughs> 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 <Two-thirds. laughs> <laughs> all right. What else should we say about the story well, there's just itself?
0: A- there's just like a lot of themes in the story, which obviously, you know, we're going to get into, but that just keeps showing up in yeah. stories later, you know, and later it just made me realize we've been telling the same stories like immortality, like the quest for immortality, the like taming of men by women, like all of these stories are like not new in any way. It's like we've been telling them probably since we've existed. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, in the it kind of goes back to our Uh, here with a thousand faces episode. Wait, did we do here with a thousand faces? No, we did did we we did power of myth, Myth and we yeah, yeah. but we've talked about that a lot. We talked about here with
0: a thousand faces, yeah, yeah,
1: and I think that's a big part of what Campbell was getting at is there almost seems to be something biological or evolutionary about the hero's journey and the hero myth, and some there's something about this arc that we appear to resonate with on an almost biological level since it does seem to transcend culture and time and it, it's what survives and what you know sticks mm-hmm. and gets retold right it's almost like music there's something about music where we can just remember it and follow along with it and resonate with it and it's cool to see that it's a, i mean it's the same story right the the yeah. bones of it are the same as you know almost any like quasi-superhero movie that comes out today, right? Yeah, and Same I mean, art. how
0: many... I mean, even just, like, the mini-stories in this, right? Like, where, like, the guy... I forget his name. Enkidu, inkidu something... I don't know how yeah, you pronounce Enkidu. some of these names. inkidu Where he's, like, Enkidu. a wild animal, and then he meets, like, the woman, and then he has sex with her for six days, and then the <laughs> animals... And then the animals don't, like, take him back because he was before, like, this wild animal guy... And animals don't take him back because he's like a human now. And it's like, how many romantic comedy type movies are out there like that? Or is this wild guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> meets the girl, gets tamed, and now he's like a member of society? <laughs> like, I feel like there's so many stories about, like, you just go on Netflix, you probably find like a hundred right now that are basically the exact same story. Half of the rom-com arcs, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's like even just that one. I mean, there's so many. I mean, the immortality thing has been told, obviously, like millions of times as well. It's like you're right now. It's probably something biological. Like we've obviously always been scared of death. I mean, I think that's yeah. we even talked about that in um, whatever that one book was. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Too day, many. Just no. Just no, 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 uh, no. Denial of death. Yeah. Denial of death. That's about good. How that's like an instinctual fear for humans. So the immortality thing is like, oh, how can I live forever? Because you don't want to. You don't ever want to lose your own life, but you also don't want other people to lose their lives that you care about. And so this, like, quest for immortality has been told so many times. Yeah, it's just so cool seeing this from a book that's, like, over 4,000 years old, or a story that's over 4,000 years old.
1: Yeah.
2: From the opening, I actually expected it to be epic throughout. I didn't realize it would have, like, a hero's journey. So the Mm -hmm. first few tablets, where he is basically the villain actually kind of threw me off because it just differed from my expectations so much. And I don't want to spoil too much of it because it's short and it's worth reading. But at the opening, he's basically like a sexual oppressor. He's cruel to the men in his city. And he's actually the villain who Enkidu is coming to conquer. He's been sent to equalize him because Gilgamesh is such a bad person that the gods, uh, or at least one of the gods, uh, has great distaste for him. And then there's that really brutal killing, which I, somewhere near the middle of the story where they go into the cedar forest. And it's like, the story for me oscillated between, there were points where I was like quite bored and there were points where I was just like, oh my God. And that was one where it was actually just like very vivid and cruel, even though it was so succinct. I think it was like two or three paragraphs and it actually disturbed me a little bit because the begging for mercy was so... Mm. It was so extreme. So they really have this very deep arc where he starts as this really bad guy in pretty much any respect you can slice it and then ends up as this redeemed you know, wise man who comes back from his journey trying to find immortality.
1: Oh, it, the thing I like about that is, and this is a theme with the Greek epics too, is there's this very humanized quality to or it's it's like very human superhumans, right? Like they're not yeah. they're not necessarily like Ubermensch, Nietzsche, like supermen. They're almost almost just like exaggerated humans. So they they have these you know incredible capabilities, but they have they fall victim to a lot of the same like impulses, desires, reflect a lot of the worst of humanity and also the best right? it's the same with the like the greek mythology and the greek gods versus the more like modern versions of religion which are i, I would say a little more like I- idealistic and so there there is this element of it's it's like still a useful personal story even though it's mm-hmm. a story of a kind of like god right it's like the, the power can still be or the, the power is still corrupting, right? Like you still you still need or you can still experience loss, you can still experience growth, you can still go through kind of like yeah, all the, the same arcs. arcs that we yeah, that that mm-hmm. we, you know, quote unquote mortals have to go through. And you can like learn from it and reflect from it, right? Like my question with these stories is always, why were they being told? Yep. or why did they last? Like what was their value? And yeah, I think that to your point, Adil, there, there is a lot of value in this, like, you know, you, you will be punished <laughs> for, yeah. uh, for cruelty, no matter how like strong and immortal you think you are. Absolutely. And to make the arc very tangible, he starts
2: out as someone who's very vain, who has no fear at all of death. And he's just chasing fame and glory and abusing his power. And then he gets put into check by someone who is largely his equal. Yep. And then over the remainder of the story, experiences a great loss. And that instills in him a massive fear of death. And the whole second half of the story is him reconciling with that fear. First fighting it, and then realizing he cannot. And I love the last verse. And if we think this is too much of a spoiler, we can cut it in the edits.
1: But the I, last... I think people. People I'm expect to have the story spoiled. spoiled. Yeah, I mean, I would say yeah. if you don't want the story spoiled, go read the book. It'll take you an yeah. hour or two and then come back yeah. and listen. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we can just say what happens.
2: Yeah, so he goes to the end of the world and back, and he faces a number of trials along the way, and ultimately fails to acquire immortality, which we could talk about if we want, but the thing that I wanted to reference was he comes back to Uruk, which is the city of which he's the king, and remarks that the only thing immortal will be the walls. And sort of like the meta conversation we had a few minutes back where the stone tablet survived his yeah. own recognition is like, yeah, you build walls of stone and it's only what you build that will outlast you. I think it's also like quite fitting that this is the oldest story we have access to and it's yeah. written on stone tablets. And the
0: ending of it is that to you should build things in stone because they will last a long time. Uh, yeah. There's like a meta uh, lesson just in the fact that the story survived. Yeah right right yeah that's, that's like, a
2: good yeah. point <laughs> i mean i was looking at those tablets like just photos of them and you know, they're like 4, years old someone
0: chiseled every letter by hand
1: it's pretty cool it's pretty wild well yeah. yeah
0: i wonder too like how i mean this is like our monetary system question but it's like how did was that like sponsored by a king who was like hey i want this story to be chiseled in stone Was it like a a rich guy who got rich and was like, this is what I'm going to do with my time is chisel the story. Like, I just wonder, like the logistics of who was feeding this guy. Right. Because food was not a cheap thing. And I just imagine. Yeah. I just imagine like it was everything was relatively more expensive to get at that time because, like, you know, the abundance of food was certainly not there. They and found you wouldn't it. be contributing, right? You, like, also wouldn't be contributing to, like, you wouldn't be a farmer and be like, oh, at night yeah. I'm going to chisel this tablet. It's not like you had lights that you could do that with. No.
2: I mean, as um, I understand it, it's like the valley there was so rich and fertile that they were actually able to grow so much food that they could then have uh, city life force. Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And they found the tablets in this the library that just pulled up the name. I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, but the Ashur Ashurbanipal Library, uh, which is named after the last great king of the Assyrian Empire. So <laughs> unclear whether he procured it and it ended up in his library because it was already of great value or he commissioned it. Uh, but it ended up with a king, which yeah. – suggest one thing or the other about its contemporary value.
1: That's cool. The other thing that's kind of interesting with it is I wonder how much of it got lost mm, because it yeah. does jump around a little bit and there are definitely pieces that are missing and you kind of have to wonder, okay, how much, how many other things happened or how many other, right? Like Plato kind of does this with Socrates where like Plato tells a ton of stories and like puts Socrates in them, but Socrates never did or said most of those things right so you could also imagine there might have been tons of other gilgamesh stories right characters or like, yeah or like yeah. he was just like the default character for any like cool story yeah <laughs> uh it's kind of fun to think like how many other of these were floating around that, that we just don't have access to or what other part what other things happened that we don't know about I was yeah. reading that there's speculation, the latter
2: half of the story, where he faces all the trials on his way to the like the distant part of the world, that those were likely or longer stories.
0: Mm. It's another person's sense. speculation. I don't know.
2: The the but version does, I had
0: it, the, the version I had in the intro, they were like the author was talking about or the translator, I guess, not the author. The translator was talking about how these tablets are very incomplete and you know, no, there's like speculation on what other stories might have been, but there's, and there's even some proposed tablets where they suspect it's part of the same story, Hmm. but it's like fragments. Like they might have like, you know, like a section of a stone tablet, not a tablet.
2: I mean, it's really impressive. If you actually look at the tablets they're translating from, even the ones that they're getting material from, they look quite incomplete because what's you know, chisel into it is still fairly surface level. And at points you have like a whole corner that's just been ripped off. Oh yeah. Yeah. We should put a link to this in the show notes. Yeah. I haven't liked these these pictures. This is cool. It's super cool that even this much of it actually exists. And in the library, they retrieved 30,000 tablets. Wow. So I I mean, of those, like how much are fragments, how much are full, probably vast majority of them are fragments would be my guess.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, this could be 12 tablets out of you know, maybe something the size of the Old and New Testament. Well, yeah. yeah. And
1: speaking of uh, Old Testament, should we talk about the flood story? Yeah. That's, oh, yes. That's got to be one of the coolest parts of this, right, is basically when he gets to whatever you want to call it, end of the earth, the afterlife, whatever, and he's, like, trying to gain immortality, the... God, immortal being that he's trying to get it from turns out to have basically, like, been Noah, right? That was that was how I understood it, like... Because there's a flashback story where he tells Gilgamesh that God decided to, like, wipe out all life on Earth and told this one dude to build an ark and save all the animals, and then God flooded the Earth and killed everyone and gave him internal life as his reward. And it's, like suspiciously similar to the the noah story although way more detailed the the noah's Ark story is like pretty quick and short and the the gilgamesh flood story is a lot richer and i think in in the old testament noah lives to be like 800 or something he lives an extremely long time and so there's even that element that's pretty close to it too i i just thought that part was pretty fascinating because yeah they're nearby each other geographically, but it's definitely not the same area. So they there must have been some cross-pollination of stories between these, like, bards.
0: Well, what's the time difference between the Old Testament and the Epic of Gilgamesh? From what, like, the, I guess, commonly accepted time difference?
1: I think it's like 500 years. 500, yeah, 700 so, years. It's a long time.
0: yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about doing these in chronological order is that something is already ancient history by the time we get to, like, the next book that we think is also ancient history. Like, from our perspective, yeah. we're like, oh, yeah, they're both, like, from that same time period.
1: But really, they're, like, 500 years apart. Yeah, I mean, what's, like, what's something that came out in 13, 1400, like, Magna Carta, maybe? Yeah. So
0: <laughs> Or, like, <laughs> The Prince, old. Machiavelli, like, The Prince, maybe? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. Some of these... Like Shakespeare, oh, well, we, we have a list by the yeah. 1600s.
1: Yeah. Aquinas, Dante. Yeah. Dante's Inferno was 700 yeah. years, 600 years ago.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like wild to think about that, that like when somebody who is, you know, writing or coming up with the stories for, for those texts, like to them, these were the ancient texts and they're still around. It's like wild yeah. to think about. It's super wild. Yeah. And it's so sparsely
2: populated when you go that far back in time. Like yes. they think, I was reading about Babylon in one of my little offshoots from this book, and they think Babylon at its peak was 200,000 people. And it wasn't surrounded by very many cities, it was far from cities. People from Babylon weren't really going to other cities very often, even more so for whatever was going on with Uruk. So oral tradition already being a weaker way to transmit information, and then small numbers of people over great distances. I mean, they speculate that there was some kind of flood in that region because it shows up in so many stories from yeah. the time. There's also oh, yeah. Plato's,
1: uh, yeah, it's in the, the Republic name. too. That's where Atlantis comes from. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's in like the- so
0: many cultures too. So it makes yeah. you, I know now we talked about this on one of the earlier episodes of like a global flood or some kind of like, well, like that's worldwide the, uh, flood flooding.
1: Uh, what is it? Younger Dryas theory. The yeah, with those. Yeah. Uh well, I think it would have been There's much later than an the ICH thing. There there was like a small ast- like asteroid impact or something oh, yeah. in yeah. the northern hemisphere that might have like flash melted a bunch of ice and caused like a global flooding event and like eight I think it's supposed to, the theory is like 8,000 or 10,000 years ago. <laughs> Cuz that's that's where all of the like pyramid basin conspiracies come from. Uh, which is like a fun yeah. rabbit hole. I don't like it it. Is. it's one of those things where I, I don't even I, I don't care that much if it's true or not. It's entertaining to read about and fun to entertain. And actually well, it's also later like, it's it's the, also like the you,
0: aquatic. Well, yeah, oh, are you actually like deal? Yeah, no. I, yeah I go ahead. The, yeah.
1: I mean the, the the TLDR is pretty quick, which is basically that if you look at the the base that the pyramids are built on, so not the pyramids themselves, but the area surrounding it, it I guess it has a it has a flood line that suggests that there was a like meaningful flood in the area that deposited a bunch of sediment along the walls or something around 10 or 12,000 years ago, whenever the like Younger dry melting thing supposedly happened. And then if you kind of like follow that line, it suggests that there was some sort of like platform or construction there before that period. So the argument is basically that not that the pyramids are that old because we know that they aren't, but that uh, specifically where the Sphinx, I think, is, there may have been something there 12,000 or more years ago. There's some sort of significance to that area, which the Egyptians then wanted to place their monuments there as well because they knew that something had been there before and then, like, the flood wiped it out, whatever. Uh, Or they rediscovered this other, like this magic spot for some reason right like it there's a lot of variations on mm-hmm. it but the the core is that there's some arguable archaeological evidence that there was a much much older thing built there that we just have no idea about really so then when but stuff like uh gobekli tepe get found right like cuz that pushed back the date for when we thought people were building large cities. stone structures quite a bit it's sort of like okay well there might actually have been much older things than than we thought and this is kind of like the i there's i know there's some like creationism arguments that you know like fossils and stuff the histor the the date record gets messed up because everything was underwater for so long right like it's it's a it's a very weak like scientific argument but the like pre prehistory society crowd would argue that there were like semi advanced civilizations much older than we think and all the record just got wiped out by the flooding. So
0: I kind of buy parts of that argument. Yeah, yeah. yeah parts like, of
1: it for sure.
0: Like, I mean, think about how we build buildings today and like the things that we build today. Like if we didn't have old old structures, like and then we did have a catastrophic catastrophic event where like everybody in North America was just gone. Yeah. Like what would survive a thousand years from now? Like, I wonder, it might actually be like the old stuff that is already old to us. Yeah. It might be the same things that survive.
1: Well, if people stone were building life. cities out of anything besides stone, they wouldn't have made it. Like it, it would be yeah. completely wiped out. So right. yeah, Like it's like kind
0: of, you kind of could can buy that argument. I mean, you know, there's probably pieces of it which are uh, wrong, but I mean, it's like as a theory, it kind of does make sense. <laughs> Yeah. And then the other thing, Nat, too, that, like, I always forget is in these ancient societies, they had to live near water. So, like, yeah. a flood would impact them so much, like, so much more than even we realize, I think. Yeah. Like, they were either at a river or next to the ocean. It was basically, like, their two choices. And even next to the ocean, it kind of had to be somewhere near a river still, too. Well, that's sort of like...
1: Water. Uh, there's something about this with Rome. That I guess part of Rome's advantage as a major city was that it's so hilly, that they were able to. Yeah, well, the aqueducts, and also it's like so hilly and close to the water that they were able to endure these like catastrophic Mm. events a little better than many other major, you know, coastal cities or whatnot.
0: Yeah, because they could go up.
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's kind of interesting to think about how much little things like that end up mattering. I've heard this about. Mesopotamian versus it's either Egyptian or Greek gods. I think Egyptian. So I, gosh, somebody's gonna have to fact check me on this, but this will just be an interesting starting point to explore. One of their sets of gods was considered much more unruly and random and kind of like cruel at times. And some of the thinking is that that was entirely based on the regularity of the like flooding and wet season. So I think like along the Nile, it like the the flooding happened very regularly in a somewhat like helpful way. Like it made planting easier, whereas in some of the Mesopotamian regions, it was way more sporadic and random and could just like wipe shit out randomly. Uh, And so it ends up getting played out in the mythology and the gods. And so like some of the Egyptian gods were seen as more like benevolent and nice because they like created this like orderly uh, food system that you didn't. See as much of in the Mesopotamian uh, Mesopotamian god complex, right? But it's it is neat to think yeah. like how much just the geography and the access to food and all these things end up playing out on like the stories that make it for thousands of years later. That's one of the things I like about. I
2: was going down the flood myth rabbit hole, and one of the theories I liked was it appears in a number of cultures. But as I understand it, the evidence for a global flood is pretty scant mm. and some you know historians were speculating that each one has a myth about a local flood and the areas that don't will like adapt the story. So an example they I was reading about was in Iran where it's close enough to the oral tradition of areas surrounding it that may have had local floods but iran doesn't regularly flood it's very dry so in their flood myth a key component is a really bad snowstorm cuz they have a lot of that so that was like the local oh. nature event that was relatable there and oh. everywhere else cuz the flood myth appears from like the you know norse uh, mythology all the way to hawaii and these are all areas where you would totally believe that they would have, you know, straw huts, and then they have a local flood, and then it becomes super devastating, it becomes a myth. And then we find the myth everywhere 5,000 years later, try to find a unifying theory, mm. and actually it's just like, no, these are just places that flooded. That makes sense.
1: That's less fun, though.
2: It is yeah. less fun. <laughs> but, but Here's but a fun one. Not... Here's a fun one. There's a theory about the Black Sea, that the Black Sea was... Very shallow for a long time in the Mediterranean and the Aegean. I don't know how to pronounce it. Sea around uh, the Bosphorus, Aegean. Aegean. Yeah.
0: I think Aegean. it's Aegean. Aegean. Yeah. Aegean. I think
2: so. Uh, hadn't connected yet to the Black Sea, and the event by which it did was basically a massive local flood. And hmm. they have like theories on the numbers and so on. And basically, the idea is there's like a shelf at the end of the Aegean Sea, and it eventually spilled over that into the Black Sea and had a massive flood event there. That one was pretty oh. fun because they have like some geologic evidence there to suggest that it could be true. And it also, can you th- imagine what that would have kind of looked like? Up.
0: Yeah. That would have been insane to just like see. And maybe oh, it was on a longer time scale. Maybe you couldn't see it like in the moment, but yeah, be wild. Um, the other thing I was going to say related to that though, is the local, yeah, like, yeah, putting the, the story in the context of like local geography, I feel like also adds to it. Like there was that one section with the uh, forest where they were, like, bringing back a ton of, like, you know, like, forest products, like wood and stuff. Mm. And if you think about the Mesopotamia... I mean, maybe the region was different at the time, but just, like, I don't picture Mesopotamia as having... Even if it was fertile for food, I don't picture it as being, like, a forested land. Yeah, Uh, I don't either. So, like... So, if you think about the story, like, a noteworthy thing, like, if somebody came back with a bunch of forest stuff, you'd be like, oh, wow, that's something, like, somebody's two-thirds god had to... You know, had to do like a human couldn't do that.
1: I wonder if it was back then though.
0: I don't know. I don't know. It's just like I was picturing it not being like that, and I was like, oh, I can actually see why they were so impressed. (laughs) Because
1: I feel like this was like a German story,
0: right, or like a Russian story. Yeah, yeah. Forests everywhere. It's like, all right, big whoop. You brought back some (laughs) wood. Like I did that too. But if you do that in like a desert or like a plains place, like even just think about like the Midwest of the U.S., right? Like, right. If where if it's just like flat grassland and you bring back a ton of wood, it's like okay, that's interesting. Yeah, where that, like where'd yeah. you get that from? How far away yeah. did you go to get that? Totally. Another area that I
2: didn't quite expect that had a flood myth was the uh, Cheyenne in the Great Plains.
1: Hmm. Really?
2: Yeah. See, the global myth, the global flood. And they speculate it was happening in the Missouri River Valley.
1: Oh, interesting. I don't know a deal. I feel like you really just don't want to believe the global flood (laughs) myth. I know.
2: I'm all in on the pyramid myth, though.
1: What about aquatic apes? Are you in? (laughs) Are you in on aquatic apes? apes? Where do you stand on aquatic apes?
0: Just don't tell Sonia,
2: but I am in on aquatic apes. (laughs) That's (laughs) scary. I hear she doesn't like it. (laughs)
0: Actually, funny, like, related thing was, like, uh, this is probably a tangent, but I was, uh, I, like, got a bunch of oysters and was, like, uh, doing half, like, raw, half grilled yesterday. Mm -hmm. And the oyster shells, you know, like, obviously, they look kind of funky before you shuck them. And my brother brought up a good point. He was like, who decided to eat these? Like, who was the first person to just be like, I'm going to open this up and it looks super slimy and shit when you open it up? I was like, you know what, I'm going to put that in my mouth. And it doesn't even have many calories, right? It's not like, oh, yeah, it's like slimy, but you get a ton of payoff. Because I was shucking. I literally shucked like 36 oysters yesterday. And I felt like I burned more calories doing that than I took in from the oysters. Because it's like not very calorie rich.
1: There are certain nutrients. that Oh, of course. They're
0: great for you. They're great for you, right? So I wonder, yeah, maybe it was people who ate that were like doing better. And people were like, oh, yeah, we should eat that too.
2: I see your point because someone had to do it for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And from the outside these things look like rocks, so you're actually
1: breaking a rock. Yes. <laughs> might have and seen another animal doing it. it. Might have seen like Ah, uh, a that's possible. Or open, a bear that, right?
0: or a bear or something I could see yeah. doing yeah. it.
1: But uh, That's a good point. Say, or maybe it
0: got smashed. Maybe it yeah. got smashed or Smash something open, and then yeah, it was just exposed yeah. and then if somebody dropped was like one
1: and it broke open and then you like yeah. you're like, huh, like, like put that on the map. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> or maybe they were high. Going back to like the
0: up. yeah uh, maybe they just found some weed and they were like super high they're like you know what i'm just so hungry and taco <laughs> bell is too far away <laughs> it's two thousand years in the future like I gotta get gotta have one of these yeah
1: exactly there's a there's a <laughs> decent book for you know like weaning your kids and introducing them to food called first bite And there's an interesting story it talks about at the beginning of the book where they had all of these malnourished kids in an orphanage, and they they had like different issues, right? Like some of them were anemic, some of them were like borderline scurvy, right? They all had like different uh, health problems that were diet related. And there's another example of scientific studies that we could never do today, but I'm glad somebody did, where they didn't treat the diseases and they just put a bunch of random foods in front of all the kids and the kids just started eating the foods that cured their specific problem so the kids with you know scurvy type issues were eating a ton of citrus the kids who were anemic were eating you know foods with a lot of iron Whenever kids would get like colds and sick, they would eat you know foods that were helping their immune system. Their diets would progressively change based on uh, what they needed. is really cool. That's and so it so kind of goes back to that, or what we were talking about with oysters is like whatever nutrients you might have been deficient in, you know, you try it, and then your body's like, oh, this solves this problem, right? Like yep. I'm going to keep that keep index, and I'm going to get pulled yep. back to the ocean to get more of it whenever I need it in the future. So that's such a good point. I wonder how much of that you know, is how like our lost. Body works like that.
0: Yeah. But I also wonder how much of it is like lost through noise. I mean, we talked about this, I think on a previous episode about like visual noise, right. And how that drowns out other senses. Like, I wonder if this is a similar thing where if like you actually are in tune with how your body's thinking or feeling, you would just naturally kind of reach for the right things. And then there's probably foods which hijack this, right? Like the, like, you know, sugary, fatty, like, not even fatty, but, like, the sugary fast food, like, you know, the sad diet stuff that just, like, hijacks your instincts around this.
1: That's one thing they mentioned in the book, too, is, like, the only reason it worked is that the kids were only being presented with good options. If you put potato chips in front of them, they're just going to eat the potato chips. It's going to completely mess up the system.
0: Oh, yeah. The only way I've ever found to give myself self-control and, like, eat the right things is just don't buy the stuff that is not good for me. If I buy it, it's going to get eaten. Like, I already... Uh, yeah, it's the same thing for alcohol. It's the same thing for like everything. It's like it's just there. It's just so easy to reach for it. And you're like, oh yeah, it's just a bag of chips. Like It's not a big deal. <laughs> the only way to stop it is don't buy it. That's the only yeah. way. But if you have the option in front of you, when you're hungry, you're just going to like reach for that. Have you guys seen the new, uh,
1: the new Masa chips that came out yesterday?
0: No, it's, like a, <laughs> it's a new
1: direct <laughs> consumer snack company it's called Masa. And they're okay. making... They're making potato chips using, like, heirloom corn fried in beef tallow. That sounds mm. amazing. Oh, my yeah. God. And if you use code made you think, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You get free shipping and $20 off. No, we're just <laughs> kidding. There's no the cleanest, discount code. Don't try it. The way you could
1: possibly make a potato chip, I think. And Wait, where do you I buy know. this? I haven't seen this. I think I you just to, buy it uh, online. you just search, like, masa chips, you should be able to get them. Wow. They might be sold out already. They're probably sold out already. I actually did this last week. because uh, like when we make tacos, we'll make the tortillas from scratch using this like heirloom masa you can get from Mexico. And we had leftover tortillas, so I cut them up into sixths and then fried them in avocado oil. And it was fucking incredible. It was like the best chip <laughs> I've ever had. We made mm. nachos. It was awesome. I highly that's recommend it. Oh yeah, I see it. It's a lot of work because you've got to like make the tortilla and then you have to Cook it and then you have to cut it up and then you have to fry it. And it's like, man, I should just go buy Doritos instead. But it's worth the work. It's really yummy.
0: This looks really good. I'm on their yeah. website. I feel like there's a huge market, though, for things like maybe it's not huge in the scale of like craft foods would ever do something like this. But I feel like there's a lot of people who are just, like, if you make like A-T. healthier foods,
1: yeah. I mean, CIT yeah. is a massive company now and this is their whole thing, right? They were doing avocado yeah. oil, which has its problems at an industrial scale. But,
0: um, yeah. But I just mean like this, like grass fed beef. I'm looking at their description right now. It's like grass fed beef tallow, yeah, sea salt, and like tortillas, like organic tortillas. It's like okay, that any like anybody who's like into this kind of stuff will be like, all right, I'm good with that, yeah. And you find it so hard to find products on like a regular grocery store shelf that actually are, you know, That's would awesome. meet these requirements. Yeah. yeah,
1: Whole Foods is just seed oil foods now. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I do like that that meme, though, is spreading, the, like, seed oil yeah. thing. Spread quick. Like, it's it's gotten beyond just, like, the, you know, the, like, toxic maximalist,
1: like, group.
0: <laughs> Crypto mass or Bitcoin maximalist yeah. group. Like, it's <laughs> well, spread.
1: Why do all these things, like, end up congregating together? Like, why are people who are into Bitcoin also into carnivore diets and, like, I don't know. <laughs> homesteading? <I don't> know. <laughs> it's just, like, general distrust of institutions, <laughs> I guess.
0: I guess maybe that's what it like the common theme is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think the seed oil thing is interesting. Like more and more people are recognizing yeah. that. Yeah. So this is a cool chip. Yeah, we should actually. I, I might actually just buy it. There's no sponsorship, but this is this is an awesome <laughs> chip.
1: <laughs> you guys aren't working out sponsorship deals on the side. They gave me. <laughs> a- <laughs> I'm working with this microphone company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gonna have to cut them off (laughs) what else should we say about
2: I think the last thing that we didn't quite cover was when they found it it was really controversial because it was the first time that they had found stories similar to the Hebrew Bible that Mm -hmm. were clearly older than the Hebrew Bible and the guy who did a lot of the translating initially this was like the 1860s or 70s Uh, was a guy named George Smith from the British Museum. And it just like blew up immediately because Mm. he was actually looking for similarities to the Hebrew Bible. So that was a lot of the stuff that it was being discussed for. The rest of the story wasn't really as big of a deal back then. The sort of hero's arc became a big deal like in the 1940s and later. The first 60, 80 years that we had this book, it was entirely about the similarities to the Bible. Interesting. so most of the flood part done, right? The flood. There's one other thing that. Uh, oh, I would, like, re- yeah.
1: I, I was going to mention this. There's this seven years of drought thing. Did you guys pick up on that? No. Yes. Yeah, so at the at the end of Genesis, the reason that Israel becomes or not Israel, Jacob, Joseph. The one who goes to Egypt, I can't remember the names exactly, but the reason he becomes renowned and like is able to save the rest of his family and bring all of the uh, Israelites to Egypt is there's this like horrible seven year drought in the land of Egypt that uh, like God tells him about beforehand, and he prepares the Egyptians for, and is able to like save everyone. And there's the exact same seven year drought in Gilgamesh, which. I can't remember exactly how Gilgamesh himself plays a role in it. I didn't highlight it, but I highlighted the drought. So I wonder if that was part of mm-hmm. it too, because then it's like, okay, is that hmm. because they're, I mean, they're not super adjacent, but they're kind of close. I mean, like they're not horribly far apart. It's just interesting yeah. that, and maybe there's just a significance to the number seven that I don't know about. Right. Cause like there are other numbers, like the number 40 shows up a lot in a lot of myths as like a special number. And also I, four. I think,
0: I think in a lot of like Native American myths, there's four is a big one.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. I know the forty one had something to do with how we counted back then. Like you would almost never yeah. count above oh, forty, so people used forty to just mean like huge number, A big ass number. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so when you hear like forty days and forty nights, that might just mean like a really long fucking time, but. Uh, the, the 7 I thought was interesting because I didn't know if 7 was a special number or if there was actually some horrible 7 year drought in both locations that got woven into both of these stories because that, that stood out to me too mm-hmm.
2: the the other parallel is uh, Enkidu is a wild man who gets tamed by a woman which is mm-hmm. similar to the Adam and Eve story and then oh. he has to leave nature and yeah. cannot return like Adam leaves the garden of mm. Eden Uh, so it was pretty interesting parallels and in uh i'm ecclesiastes i think is the correct pronunciation there's a passage with gilgamesh mentioned something like let me see if i could pull it up
0: i also wonder how much gilgamesh had become a meme over time as well just with these like epic stories right did people just like anything that involved like a superman it was just like oh yeah it's gilgamesh uh
2: no i misunderstood this it's not um yeah, scratch that. They don't. They don't mention Gilgamesh by name. They just quote something that's very similar to mm-hmm. uh, the Sumerian poem. Well, which I, the Sumerian poem mentions Gilgamesh.
1: In my copy of Gilgamesh, it had this interesting part in the introduction where it talked about like the story itself is clearly extremely old, but retellings of it kind of like could have changed over time, and. Or not not so much that retellings of it could have changed over time, but retellings would have been like transmitted orally. And so it's very likely that scholars who knew the story of Gilgamesh interacted with Hebrew scholars recording like the Genesis story and with like Homer and Greek scholars. And so there is this idea of like Gilgamesh could be kind of like the foundational epic that ended up influencing these other epics that have also lasted, right? Because we do have the ancient stone tablets that obviously like didn't get ba- go back and like get changed after, um, Genesis was written. But if the people who were recording the Genesis story interacted with scholars who knew the Gilgamesh epic, they might've like borrowed bits and pieces, uh, to influence their story, which is probably like to your point, a deal studying it for the biblical reference. Like, That would be pretty controversial i think thing to say for a lot of history yeah something
2: that we can uh talk about in the when we do the old testament but i'll bring up here briefly is that the literal interpretations of the stories of the bible is actually a relatively new phenomenon Mm -hmm. uh usually usually being like more or less until the scientific revolution of call like 1700s or so they were not meant to be taken literally they were just like stories with good morals
1: yeah yeah when I when I read it it didn't seem like it was supposed to be taken literally yeah like, it's
2: a lot of folks do take it literally now and it's sort of this post science and very actually Western thing. So I yeah. imagine the reason this was so controversial in the 1870s is you have already the onset and you're well into the scientific revolution. people are already taking it literally, and then you have the same story appearing twice. So mm-hmm. if you were to take the stories literally, then this would scare you.
0: So that that kind of checks out in my view. Um, Adil, I also wonder, like, this is pure speculation on my part, how much how influential Islam was on Christians taking the Bible literally because the Quran is supposed to be taken mm-hmm. literally, like, specifically. It's the word of God, wonder, yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if, like, you know, through the Crusades or just through that, like, sort of cultural... Um, osmosis i guess between the two cults like spain had this right and it's like spain went from being ruled by muslims to having the inquisition Mm -hmm. (laughs) of their own right and it's like you went from being ruled by muslims to then basically having like a fundamentalist take on your own religion as well and yeah i just wonder how much like that cross-cultural influence happened like because i wonder if pre-islam anybody took the bible completely literally
2: yeah i mean there there's I, i i haven't heard this theory before but there's other stuff that I do know adjacent to it that would support it like the I might be getting some of the details wrong here but as I understand it the modern definition of Europe is actually different than the ancient one which was actually Europe oh, was the area circling the Mediterranean I'll fact check this mm. and if I'm wrong we'll throw it in the notes but uh, if I recall what I had been reading because basically every great empire that controlled Europe also controlled North Africa uh, mm. and the split happened when Europe became primarily Christian and North America became primarily Muslim and then the cultural divide,
0: Africa.
2: what did I say? You said North America. Oh yeah sorry. North that
0: I
1: was just North one Africa. of president <laughs>
0: Okay, that's <laughs> that staying in the episode <laughs> <laughs>
2: <That was great>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah so then you have the christian uh you know north of uh, the mediterranean muslim south of the mediterranean cultural divide so that to me would suggest like what you're saying is totally possible because you're basically replacing each other on the same land there's probably some handoff and intermingling the theory I that, that i had before. that's
1: super interesting about the definition of europe it makes sense though yeah I'll, like, fact check and then
2: throw in the notes whether I'm right or wrong. The theory that I had heard for the interpretation of the Bible switching to literal was actually that it started out with, like, the early European scientists using what they were discovering to prove pieces of the Bible. Mm. Oh, yeah. They were like, oh, it must be real because science – And then it got to the point where, like, one outpaced the other, and then people started taking the method they were using to prove the Bible to start, like, disproving pieces. But at that point, culturally, they had already started teaching it as a literal thing. And, you know, these things happen slowly over generations. So you kind of forget that you previously had not taken it literally. Now you take it literally, and someone challenges it using the same methodology you had used a 100 years earlier to try and prove the same
0: text. Hmm. Science is such a weapon, I feel like. Just like the more that you learn about the history of science, it's just like such a It's just used to like prove the points you already believe, basically. And if it doesn't, hey, that's not real science. Yeah. <laughs> Which you might actually be right many times. Like that is not real. science. It's just like such a subjective. though It in itself is not subjective, but like the way that it's practiced is very subjective.
2: Yeah. I still think we should throw, we should, Nat, we should throw your essay into the notes. I still think you have yeah. like the most yeah, succinct. You, you nailed it agreeable articulation of uh, science as both good and bad because it doesn't I think a lot of folks who attack it especially now in the U.S. post-COVID they're just so woo-woo that like you just can't listen to them but there is like a kernel of truth to some of the attacks
1: yeah there's a kernel of truth to it especially when it gets like taken to somewhat ridiculous extremes too right like to your point about using science to prove the bible right like we've got a lot of that going on today too right like you know, using Bible to say that, you know, we don't know what like anything is. Or like using science to say that like we don't know what a woman is anymore, right? Like <laughs> it's, uh, it's a separate episode. But <laughs> <laughs>
0: but yeah, I know I know what yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, there's a lot of like scientism in general. Yeah, scientism as well. Yeah. It's a great word. Yeah, and it's just like also the other thing is just most people are not scientifically literate. So it's like you know it's very easy to say oh there was a study that said this and then like as we know about studies <laughs> they're very but much the to, not
1: the, the best way to respond to that is to always say well there are studies that prove that vaccines cause autism like and then just watch somebody just like yeah <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> Any anything you want to find a study to prove, you can find it.
0: You can find a study. Yeah, to prove no, it. there was a um there was I believe at Princeton there was a whole thing there was a whole like department around um extrasensory perception. It's like an ESP oh, yeah, uh, department. And it's actually super yeah, yeah. interesting because like they Which actually did have studies out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like they were doing like can you predict if it was like heads or tails more than fifty percent of the time on like a massive scale? And like some people were getting like fifty five percent. And it's like, okay, interesting. Like, that is actually statistically, statistically significant. But then there's people who argue about the, like, study methodology. And, like, there are, it is definitely controversial. So my point with that is just, like, you can also find studies that say, like, ESP is totally real. And you can basically find a study that proves whatever you want. Well, I didn't know this they, ESP stuff. That's what they I'd did the remote it. viewing. Oh, yeah. It was like right. a whole Princeton. Oh, they did remote viewing, too. That was It was basically yeah. this whole, like, yeah, this, like, extrasensory perception. It, it was, like, Cold War, like, funded type stuff because they were trying yeah. to see if they can, like, spy on Russia or, like, the Soviet <laughs> Union from the U.S. And, like, there's just, like, a lot of, I guess, money that was going into stuff like that. Yeah. So, Princeton had a department around this. Wow. Um, but I think it got disbanded after, like, a few years. But... It's just interesting that, like, you know, that was science for a long time, even though now people would call that such, like, woo-woo stuff, but you could find, like, Princeton studies about this type of thing. <laughs> we should study this stuff.
2: I'm super into
0: it.
1: My well, pet mean, theory I has a been... I mean, who been... are we to say,
0: actually, too, that yeah. we don't have an extra sense? Like, Nat, your, the study you were talking about with the kids eating the food that would, like, cure them...
1: I mean, I there's mean, just so much really... spooky shit about our bodies that we don't understand, right? Like, it's the like i totally believe that there has to be some form of like remote telepathic communication capacity like in some strange way right like it just even as like a silly or not like a silly but just as like one example of something you wouldn't intuitively grasp right like uh, or w- which doesn't seem to make like easy sense right it's like a, a mom can sense how like dehydrated her baby is and then adjusts like the density of her breast milk accordingly right it's like Wow your bodies amazing. can just like do stuff that your brain like doesn't come you know anywhere close to being able to do right or like to be able to co- consciously do so the yeah. idea that if you have like like a twin right like twin remote communication from like very deep meditation or something like I'm not gonna totally rule that out like it seems like there's something there, right? Have you guys there's ever. Some... Go for Go it. Go ahead, deal. Yeah.
0: No, uh, I was just saying the name of the, the lab was called the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab. And actually, it's closed in 2007. I thought it was way older than that. But yeah, it was, it was not closed until 2007. Wow. There's a funny uh, article title that says Princeton ESP Lab must have foreseen its end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Have you guys ever had sleep paralysis?
0: Yeah, that's spooky. Yeah, had, yeah.
2: Yeah. Did you guys have like the shadowy figure like approach you and I've
0: had, had that before I've, I've had the shadowy figure when I'm in like a half dream state where I feel like yeah. someone's in the room and then I like actually wake up and there's nobody there. But yeah, I've had the, I haven't had it while also being like the sleep paralysis. For
2: sleep paralysis, it's
0: pretty common and well documented that you'll have
2: like uh, there's actually like a joke name for it on reddit it's like your uh sleep paralysis demon i think Mm. (sighs) which will like usually come and like sit on your chest it's a very specific thing that a lot of people who experience sleep paralysis all experience like this kind of vague dark thing that's sort of it doesn't have like a face or anything and then it like puts a great weight on your body and that's like the kind of like esp stuff where i'm like There's no reason why everyone should be feeling that very specific thing. Uh, I mean, maybe it's just, like, a bodily feeling that we personify, but we're all personifying it the same way. Uh, Yeah, I think it's actually on the Wikipedia page for sleep paralysis. It'll – I'll pull it up right now.
1: I've I've just had enough, Uh, like, spooky things happen on psychedelics that I can't rule any of this stuff out. Like the shared ayahuasca
0: uh, hallucinations is also – a. Uh, yeah, like that one's somewhat wild. documented.
1: Yeah, or shared dreams, like
0: yeah, the shared dreams thing is really interesting too. Or like dreaming something that actually happens is mm-hmm. like another weird thing. All uh, right, Neil, you gotta post- boogie, right Oh yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta boost soon. But I don't know what happens if I hit stop. So <laughs> <laughs> no, we better um, wrap it up then. Let's wrap it. Um, up. Yeah. So okay, yeah, we're
1: doing Genesis next, right?
0: Yep. Genesis next. Yep. Cool. Followed by Exodus, I guess. I
1: Exodus, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So we lied to you guys when we said the Iliad's next. That's that's <laughs> after Exodus. We could do right? like
1: Genesis, then Iliad, then come back to Exodus. But I feel like it's nice to do it. In no, order. let's do chronological. Yeah, it's fun. It's more good. fun, and it's our show. We can do yeah. whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> I broke I broke up my reading a little bit. I did Genesis and Exodus, and now I like jumped ahead some because I, I wanted a break before going back for Deuteronomy and Job. No, I think for the podcast, you're right. It makes more sense. Do it that yeah. way.
2: Yeah. I love
0: Deuteronomy. Yeah, I really thoroughly enjoyed that one. Yeah.
1: I really like I Exodus. I like Exodus more than Genesis. It's a good story. I've
0: read Genesis and Exodus before, but I haven't read anything past that. That was like as far as I got mm-hmm. in the Bible, or the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, the biggest so surprise in Genesis is just how
1: short some aspects are, where like... you. You know, as somebody who had not read it before, you assume that the Garden of Eden stuff is going to be really, really long and then it's a page. And it's like, okay, now we're done with that and go to the next thing. Oh wow, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um all right. So leave a review, please, if you liked it like this episode, like my made you think, don't leave a review if you didn't. Send Nat some fan mail. He needs to give the compliments. <laughs>
1: it always goes to a deal.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> send it to a uh, deal. Send to a deal. Much you like the mic.
1: <laughs> Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Recommend a new mic for a deal. Um, and yeah, tune in next time and please share the episode. Send us sats if you're on Fountain or any of the other podca- podcast 2.0 apps. I appreciate everybody sending us two sats per minute listened. I've been seeing those notifications. <laughs>
1: so a, thank you to no whoever's doing that.
0: No, you can do whatever you want. I mean, usually yeah, okay. people were doing, people were just sending us like boosts of like, you know, a thousand sets or like someone sent like 10,000 sets or something. Huh. But nice. then you can also do like a stream, like a pay per minute that you actually listen to the episode. Oh, neat. So so it's like if somebody listens for only 10 minutes, like they would only send us 20 sets. If they listen to like 100 minutes it made you think it would send us like 200. But you set like the rate um that you want to compensate the podcast with so there's one I I don't know who these people are but I appreciate it whoever's doing it there's like one person doing four sets a minute somebody doing two sets a minute okay who's going to be the first 10 set a minute supporter (laughs) Uh, but yeah I appreciate it whoever I can't I can't see who you are but um yeah if whoever's doing it we really appreciate you supporting the show just read
1: out their public keys all right (laughs) I could do that. (laughs) If their pain is by the minute, we got to start talking for longer. So, (laughs) we got to do
0: longer episodes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Although they could just stop listening if we have too much filler content. We just have to do more tangents. People love the tangents. So,
1: we'll do like the tangents.
0: Yeah. All right. See you guys next time. See you guys.